Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Ether is the perfect drug for Las Vegas. In this town, they love a drunk. Fresh meat. Come on, buddy. So they put us through the turnstiles and turned us loose inside. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dose of Ether. Thanks for joining us again. My name is Lucian and I'm joined by my co-host, Colin Couchet. Say hello, Colin. Hello, Colin. How's it going, Colin? How you been, Colin? <laughs> In a third person type of mood today? Uh, just dissociative identity disorder, no big deal. That sounds fun. <laughs> yep, I did have did, but now I don't. No, I uh, I don't know. I'm just bullshitting. Guess. Yeah. Uh, so hi, how's it going? Good. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to drop my voice? Otherwise, it sounds like we haven't started yet. <laughs> yeah, you got to say something really sultry, like, "Oh, now it's time to get down and dirty." <laughs> Now, let's get in the weeds. <laughs> Sweaty balls. Uh. I hope someone actually clicked on that link in the last episode and watched the... We'll just SNL. put it in every episode. We'll put it in every episode. Sweaty balls is at the bottom of every episode show notes. How's that? Yes, it's at the bottom of every episode and at the top of Colin's mind. <laughs> yeah, top of my mind, tip of my tongue. All right. So let's get into it. Uh, what do you want to talk about? So today we're going to talk about a um, hack involving an oracle, a um, another hack involving a smart contract bug, and then finally the fact that the ETH 2.0 phase zero spec has been frozen, which means basically, which means basically it's in a semi-final state and the implementation <laughs> is going to be around uh, a fixed goal cool so yes let's talk about what is it synthetic what are they called Syn -syn synthetics yeah um, i read that article a bit ago uh that was so remind me again what exactly happened but it sounds like they only have like two of their oracles up and they both were dealing with an issue so like they had a lot of their oracles go down and then there was also simultaneously something that was fucking with their oracles price reporting. Is that correct? Basically they um, were down to two uh, sources uh -huh. in their oracle. Uh -huh. And what ended up happening was one of the... Uh, price sources started uh. having um, intermittent discrepancies of a thousand times the actual price and an automatic trading bot spotted the discrepancy and started taking advantage of it so basically well, what are they trading on that what is a synthetic asset that's what i was read, reading and i'm meant to go back and check up on and like they were talking something about stable coins and stuff. But like, what what are they actually trading on that? So platform? the um, the error happened in something that is supposed to represent the price of um, Korea's currency. Oh, so it's a stable coin for against 
whatever the hell Korea's currency or is it's a representation of value of uh, Korea's currency. Uh, so okay, right. I mean, the thing yeah, is, yeah. That... Oh, I see. So it's like, yeah, we're trading whatever assets against Korea, Korea's currency. Okay, yeah. All right. So it's like buying a crypto kitty in USD. <laughs> is that um, right? Um, I mean, it depends how you set it up, but like, you if you represent values on the Ethereum blockchain, it doesn't really how you represent it because if you're able to transact it against other things so the representation of uh south korea's currency can be traded for the representation of bitcoin on ethereum <clears throat> so when you actually make these trades and you take advantage of a discrepancy in the oracle contract what ends up happening is that you end up getting way too good of a deal yep right so imagine all of a sudden your currency is worth a thousand times more because of a bug in the um it, the most likely the oracle contract bug happened off chain uh -huh. and what ended up happening is you have garbage data going into the blockchain a trader automatically notices this and they take advantage of it um using a bot right um, and most like we talked like ren protocol and folks like that um people who, who lean heavily on oracles to do their services right right and and, and like these guys have like anomaly detectors built into their systems. Like they, they have these things so that they if drop they see like a flash, flash crash. Yeah. So like Maker, for instance, survived the flash crash. They did not get disturbed by the flash crash at all. And so I asked Nick Kunkel on hashing it out, um, which also, by the way, great interview. We had to actually turn that into a two-parter. So a little cross promotion here. Check mm -hmm. out, uh, check out that hashing it out episode. Um, uh, really interesting stuff. What Dai and Maker's doing. Um, so we had Nick Kunkel from Maker on, and they were telling he was telling us about like a little how they do you know die and their Maker and their Oracles and how they actually price the die you know, and uh, you know one of the things is they have like first off a ton of different Oracle services they use pretty much all of them, um, any Oracle they can find, and then they take a sort of like kind of like an average, but they also do this like anomaly checking on it so that if a flash crash happens in, in one particular um, Oracle or exchange or whatever, they, they will automatically detect that and then just go, yeah, F that noise. We're going to go do, we're going to like ignore them until they fix their stuff. Um, what right. happened here? Don't they have something like that? I mean, that seems like so they were, they were supposed to have redundancy and there were supposed to get prices from multiple uh, different sources, but their sources went offline without them noticing. And they were mentioning that their like alerting system didn't tell them that their sources were offline. And what ended up happening is that they were down to two sources for oracles for price data on this specific trading pair. And what happened was that one of them started misbehaving, but because they were down to two, it still took it because it didn't put it outside of the threshold. So what I'm assuming they do is they would take a, a weighted average of multiple sources um, of information, right? And they would Why say, would they okay, need, even that's... need to wait it. I mean, information is information. How are they going to... Well, wait. you would always weight it based on trustworthiness, the reputation of the source. You, you wouldn't like weigh a specific exchange's um, 
opinion or price point more than it is actually worth, right? So it's like one thing for I mean, that's the point of having, that's, that's the, the point of pulling from a hundred, like you pull from a hundred oracles. Like if one's not as trustworthy, big fucking deal. Right. Um, but I'm saying, you know, I mean, is like the point you, is you, have you wouldn't, to you wouldn't be like, somehow. Oh, I don't like Poloniex. So I'm just going to count them for half. Like you definitely I, can. I, I mean, know you can, but like I wouldn't do that just well, because it makes sense to wait. It's gaming it the system volume. against them. Yeah. You know? Because there's no reason for you to take Cryptopia's um, yeah. Oracle data as mm. seriously as you would Coinbase's. Just, mm. you know. Fair enough. Um, so, what ended up happening was that they basically were down to the bare minimum number of. Um, sources and when uh the price fluctuations started happening they should have essentially been uh segregated as an outlier and those prices wouldn't have been included but because they didn't have enough sources essentially they started like reporting these incorrect prices the impact of this is what's really fascinating supposedly a single trader made a billion dollars worth of trades cheese and crackers in profit and and intentionally too so it was an actual exploit and he took advantage of it not necessarily i i don't think it was an intentional exploit first of all but the bot the bot the the way the way the uh uh the response that they've worded on their blog is phrased is that uh they created a billion dollars worth of profit within an hour and Mm. What ended up happening is that they contacted this trader and this trader seems to not have noticed essentially until after the fact and they rolled back all of the trades caused by the bug and they were awarded a bug bounty. So I I don't think it was necessarily malicious or intentional, um, but it just shows you how much money can be made if it is done this way now imagine Uh if this is done on a a decentralized exchange right how would you even go about rolling this back especially if the actual transfer of assets has already occurred right and it also shows that if you are dependent on an oracle system uh the weakest part of your system is essentially what is not on the blockchain and i think maker die is very very aware of this yeah well here's the thing it's like uh i I don't think so decentralized exchange like to me you're not trading fiat like if you are that's that's kind of like an at your own risk thing um that's why that's also why you have die uh like that built the way it is so that it can kind of um uh it's it's really well built so that it it prevents that kind of thing from happening. And uh, I mean, although it's collateralized to hell, um, it, it's uh, it, it's built in such a way that it really does try and prevent things that happen to synthetics to also happen to it. I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, when, you, when I hear decentralized exchange, I actually think crypto to crypto, uh, exactly. at least right now, you know? And like, if that's the case, you're not dealing with oracles at all. Well, okay, fine. Ideally. Except... In essence, isn't 
isn't dye itself a kind of uh, synthetic product? I know it's acid yeah, it and it's collateralized, and, and so, like, but it's a representation like... of a value. The difference is that like the dye representation of a dollar is based on uh, market fundamentals. I wouldn't say that that portion per se is what... Um, like the actual value of die equaling a dollar isn't the part that is susceptible to an oracle attack. It's more like if they go into multi-collateral die, the relative value of all of the um, stable coins or all of the coins that make up the stable coin, mm-hmm. those are susceptible to oracle problems, right? Because you could have a very low volume trading pair, right? Something like, Um, I don't know, something that has very low trading volume, right? And then you can essentially manipulate that and have uh, cascading repercussions based on the fact that you now have a manipulated exchange rate that overvalues a specific token. Um, And then that overvaluation is temporary. You know it's temporary, but if you're doing maliciously, you basically use... Um, the fact that you're able to exchange, I don't know, you're able to exchange it into die. You're able to exchange it into more die than yeah. it's worth. Once you have the die, no one's going to be able to take that back from you. Well, this is why decentralizing. So, I mean, that only counts if there's an oracle, right? You can't really inflate or deflate anything. But I guess, like, because you still it... have to exchange it for other shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't just inflate or deflate the numbers. Act, you know like n- fictionally is to see here's the thing when you deal with oracles you're dealing with the potential for fiction that's that's the problem that this, these people are encountering it's a fiction problem and i mean fiction in a, in a very broad you know that's not the right word for it. it's it's not you're, you're you're trusting the oracle and the oracle has the potential to be completely fucking wrong which means they give you information which is just not true it's fiction yeah. And, yep. and, and, and and when you're dealing with, like, a decentralized exchange, the reason we're fighting towards that direction is because it removes the, the potential for fiction. Right. Basically, ideally, like... Ideally. Now, that might not necessarily be true in practice, but ideally. Right. So if you're going to inflate or the value of a token on a decentralized exchange, you're going to have to do it by buying your own shit and reselling your own shit over and over again. And with a transaction fee yeah. involved, you know, and like I don't see that ha- that that's that's a you you would first off you would be very publicly devaluing your own asset um, or inflating its value or temporarily inflating its value. It's an exit, I mean, but it's not. You a, it's you can't deny that wash trading is endemic, yeah, right? True. But I would say wash trading on decentralized exchanges is non-existent mainly because there's always a transaction fee and wash trading really only makes sense when there's zero frictional cost. Um, it's also anomalous. It's like, it's like, I feel like that's something that people could just fucking notice. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, sure. it's like, it's like wash trading works, works in, in, in stock markets because nobody gets to see the ledger, you know, yeah, <laughs> they don't but... see what's happening. They see a ticker and they see an, a, a summary of everything that's happening overall. That's it. They don't get to see every transaction that's broadcast. They don't get to see, you know what I mean? Like they don't, because there is no broadcast, they don't get to see like they maybe eventually, but it won't you know after some sort of audit period or something. I'm not really sure how that works, but this is like live streaming with the fuck data. You know, it's like hey, huh, 
what's this account doing? And not only, and and while you can do all this stuff, especially if we get like sub second, um, I'll call it block time, but confirmation time on anything, um, you can do all this stuff really, uh, um, really really quickly, so nobody can like do anything in time. Um, but that's also where you can put like little, uh, little safety mechanisms into whatever your smart contracts are doing. So that if it can, you can automatically monitor that stuff. And if you see it, you can just pull the trigger automatically until a uh, primary, uh, you know, an actual audit can occur on the system. Does add an element of centralization, could be a third party service, whatever. But the point is, is that when you have things decentralized, you're not dealing with this kind of issue anymore. This Oracle issue, you're not dealing with the, the, the downfalls of fiction, ideally. That's kind of the point. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Works, exactly because right. there, there yeah. hasn't been cases that I've heard of of uh, wash trading in decentralized oracles. But at the same time, if you build an application that's dependent on API data coming from non-blockchain related um, sources of oracles, then essentially yeah. you are more at risk there are some it's projects... not even just watch trading like it's 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 all all sorts of things can go right wrong. so you know? they they mentioned that they're going to be working with Chainlink basically to increase the security of their oracle system it's a problem that we've known in ethereum for a very long time but it's just highlighting this specific issue because of the scale and intensity of the issue right, right. like Maybe it was even an unintentional hack, but the the scale of how large the repercussions of it are were just yeah instant and, and instant, catastrophic. Yeah, Perry, um, one billion, you said in one hour. Yes, holy fucking shit balls! That's that's a ridiculous amount of money. That yeah. is like that is like parody hack like times three times. Yeah, I'm but they rolled it five. back. Yeah. They thankfully were able to roll it back. They were able to. They issued a bug bounty to the trader that basically um, was able to take advantage of it. Um, so it's not as bad in terms of the consequences, but it just shows you that the classical problems that uh, we all know are there are still very much present. <laughs> yeah, security um, is just a big issue in this field. I mean, that's so our buddy uh, Corey who's co-host with me on hashing it out. He's, um, you know, he's, he's in the right field. He's doing security work pretty much entirely. It's what his life is because there's so many new types of security things that are going on here. Um, I mean, this is a good, good lead in to kind of talk about our next subject too, which is like the, uh, uh, what is it? The, the gridlock issue with, um, what are they? Edge, edge, um, edgeware. Um, they they recently had a bug that was kind of pointed out to them from a security researcher um in dealing with their their contract and uh it's it's uh it's kind of a big deal bug in that it can actually lock your funds up um and make it difficult to retrieve them i don't think you actually could retrieve them fortunately they caught it before anybody was able to like exploit it but it was it's yeah it's a it was a big deal um and it really calls into question some you know, preconceptions we've had about contracts yet again. Um, yeah. Because... My biggest issue with uh, the Edgeware lock drop, con uh, the problem with it is the economic incentives for people to pool their resources when within a single smart contract, mm -hmm. right? Like their design created the following incentives, right? You either signal your intent 
um, from any Ethereum account holding ETH because they're doing some kind of like right. airdrop, but you right. have to like participate in order to be able to qualify. Right. Um, well, that one, the, that, that or, signaling thing was no big deal. But the second one you're about to list, that was the problem. Yeah. Or you lock your Ether in a smart contract for three to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, basically demonstrating your interest in like participating and mm-hmm. um, the participation in the network or some kind of like representation or token would be your payout. The problem is, is that their incentive mechanism is itself a security hole. Like why would you intentionally want users to lock up their funds into a smart contract period, right? Like, unless they need it, they shouldn't rely on your security, period, right? Like, you go and you basically create a point of centralization as a, what, self-promotion mechanism. It's not like you can spend those people's ether. It's not like you are generating or creating value. That's the problem that, like, annoys me the most out of this oh i mean i see what you're saying with that see that that i that i get is that like yeah why are you locking this up if you can't do fuck all with it right Um, and it's not like it's even a multi-sig it's it's literally taking ether out of the ecosystem like it's like like you know (laughs) why yeah like why what do you you, so it's really like I, i don't even understand because they don't even have a transition into something else if that makes sense so it's no, not like you get your money back you get at the fun, end like all of it back it's like what is the point all they're doing is literally pulling money out of the ethereum circulation it's basically like them wanting to be able to go into investors and be like oh you know make or die they have 200 million dollars worth of ether locked up in their cdn contract while we have 290 million right but at the same time like if you have so here's <laughs> All right, so that, I don't want to get too far into the economics of this because I don't know enough about it. Um, but if you have Ether locked up in this smart contract, is it is it owned Ether? Is it taxable? No. Right, because it's locked up in some place that you can't get to. It's basically so, it's basically not something that you own anymore. Yeah, right? it's not like it's being invested on compound finance and like there someone is making some money off of it like so i'm thinking okay if i wanted to build something that might be a tax loophole this would be a good one i don't fully understand what you mean by tax loophole. because you have to declare the ether that you own on your taxes if you you know what i mean like you have to declare these earnings like they are they are taxable right items, right. right good luck explaining but you don't IRS. have to explain because if the IRS says, well, what, where, where was this ether when you, well, I spent, I gave it to, I put it in the, put it in this, this, this thing. I don't have it. It's not mine. It's, it's in this, this, this other contract that I don't own. So fuck and, off. And then you get the rights to reimburse that money within three to 12 months. I don't know. That sounds like exactly what. Um, I don't know either. Lehman Brothers did with uh, the transfer pricing with their London subsidiary. But I doubt you have the same lawyers that they do to be able to justify that. <laughs> but um, Well, if anyways, their lawyers already justified it, and not, then there's already a precedent, and then I don't have... I could just literally... But anyway, to me, it just seems like, you know, I, I, could, I could probably get away with it. Okay, um, but like we but, didn't actually talk about the, the <laughs> quote hack itself. It's kind of yeah. difficult to call it a hack, but... 
more or less what happens is that um, a malicious actor could do something essentially to um, make it difficult to withdraw funds, essentially. And it would be a very cheap attack, and it's basically because of a bug in the smart contract that they've since updated. But, like... Well, the, the, mistake- bug, is, the bug was pretty pretty straightforward, really. Um, I, well, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't. That's the problem. The real problem is it wasn't straightforward. Um, the the It was one line of code, really. It was one line of code. It was a single assert that basically checked to see if balance equals amount of F held, right? Yeah. Um, and if it did, then you're able to lock. If it did not, then you're not able to lock because guess what? You've um, you, you're, The function would fail the assert and then bomb. Well, that's fine. Like these, So what happens is this is a lock contract, and when you want to lock up your stuff, it literally deploys another contract, and that's your contract. Um, with your lockbox, it's basically another contract out there that that has your money in it, right? Um, so this is kind of their way of pulling away the centralized point of failure in their own single contract by just having you have your own out there, right? Um, the problem is that like you could dump. I mean, a even like a minimal amount of extra way into this, like extra like like ether into this this extra this this contract um and the reason they thought they could you couldn't do that is because the contract itself wasn't payable but but um because you there's this feature in ethereum where if you um destroy self-destruct a contract you get you can tell where the eth that remains in that contract goes to any address um even if that that address is a contract and even if that contract isn't payable um that ether would be donated to that contract, which would put it over the, which mean the balance wouldn't equal the amount of ETH in the contract, which would mean that it would fail the assert, which would mean that you couldn't lock the, you couldn't like lock the funds, which means it would just basically sit there and be all locked up and unretrievable. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's basically a check within the smart contract that was originally intended for security, but at the same time (laughs) could be used in a way that the security check will never pass for anyone. It will never pass for anybody, in which case it never, it never, it just adds the money and doesn't lock it. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, in fact, let me pull up that code real quick. So this was just such a, a weird little bug because on the one hand, like you think, just like you think, oh wow, well this is extra security because I'm putting this 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 little um, I'm I'm putting this nice uh you know assert in here. Let me find it. Right, it's Roll basically work. it's actually doing the wrong thing. Like it's 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 actually causing the issue to do that bug checking. This is this is and and the and the interesting part is like the flaw itself technically is with the smart contract, but also technically it's not. And I'm not going to say it's a flaw. I'm just going to say it didn't take into consideration a larger ecosystem. Right. So and, essentially and that larger... the way to exploit it. So I, I have it up right in front of me. I could basically read it out. Yeah. Um, you check the current block time and whether it's within the 90 days of the lock drop eligibility window, then you check that the funds are being locked for either three, six or 12 months 
Then you check that all the money arrived safely in the lock contract. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the deal. The quote, check to make sure that all the funds arrived safely has an issue because technically you could call that function from a different contract and you could make a deposit that makes that inequality no longer hold true for anyone. Right. So the value check would essentially fail for everyone because the total amount locked up doesn't equal the total amount um, within the contract. If that makes sense. No, I mean, it's, it's not that any contract can call it. That's not it's the that case. You have to, you can predict what, um, yeah, I had to double check. Based on, it's not that it's not that any contract could call it. It's that you can call self-destruct on any contract and send the ether to that contract. Which means that, like, you can create essentially a um, a transaction by. It's, so you just send you literally send spare change to uh, to the next lock before it even happens. So yeah, yeah um, yep. Yep. How can someone send it? Yep. Yep. So basically, you can literally send ETH to any contract that's that's at any point uh, that's not payable, uh, whether or not it's payable, just by essentially um, self-destructing your contract and dumping it into that 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 contract. I think. Am I reading this correct? I had to pull it up again to double check what I read before. Yeah, right? Basically, yeah. Self-destructing any other contract and sending its remaining ETH to address X or by sending ETH to address X before any contract is instantiated at that address. So, um, yeah, so there's a timing issue in that you can actually create the attack at the same time uh, of, of before the, the actual address is created um, or before the contract is instantiated at that address. Or you could do it by just self-destructing any contract and sending in remaining F to the address. So you have a sort of a timing attack, it looks like. Basically, and that's it, a good way to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the way the contract functions normally is that um, you hit the contract. And it, oh, and it breaks the whole case. lock drop process indefinitely. Exactly, yeah. So it's attacking the main contract from that point forward exactly it basically affects it, i didn't it, catch it that affects part. the uh the quality of it yep 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 it'll because lock up your eth and then you can't get that jank back and and you know what's great this guy reported it caught it on his own just a regular researcher um name is uh neil m who is this neil neil mc let's look at his linkedin who is this brilliant dude I haven't seen something. Uh, it's just Neil M. Uh, he's from Edinburgh. That's uh, the only article he has on Medium. <laughs> he he's an engineer at Consensus. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, he's been there since March 2018. So yeah, he he found this really weird esoteric bug. I've actually never quite seen a bug like this yet. So this is like almost like a new one, and um, and and it's it's just weird because it's it's. Literally a failed 
assert that shouldn't fail, except for the fact that you can use outside factors dealing with the truth that nothing is a closed system in Ethereum. So none of your contracts are a closed system. And a contract that is completely unrelated to your contract that you would have no reason even think even exists can still change the operation of your contract just by simply dumping ether into it. Yeah. That's so one of the questions I saw on Twitter when I was looking at some of the comments on, on this quant stamp did the, 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 and we've interviewed the quant stamp. They're good guys. Um, they, they're really doing good work. I mean, they've, so it's, it's shitty. Security is a shit job in my opinion, for one reason in that, um, you could be five nines amazing at your job, but they'll always get you on that one, one, you know, one ten thousandth of a percent time when you did not find something. So you could literally be destroying all over the place, doing some amazing, like great work, but they'll ding you on that one thing that was just terribly tough to dif- and difficult to notice and hard to do, uh, hard to detect. And a lot of that is not quite fault-based. You know what I mean? Like if somebody detects a new type of vulnerability, that's a creative thought process. You can't predict creative thought processes. Like this is a creative thought process. This, this, this attack vector is a very creative, this gridlock uh, bug is a very creative thought process, right? Okay. I do have to, I do have to read a uh, statement by, let me see, Tom Ivy. Well, that's his handle on Twitter. He's the chief of staff for um, Hey Edgeware, or mm-hmm. Edgeware is the name of the the contract. But he says, quote, uh, they do have an official disclosure below. And they said that it would have only halted new lock drop participation. Uh-huh. Yep. Locking From that point specifically forward. until a new uh, MLC was deployed. And that user security or funds were never at risk. They were they the ones that were already there, right? Why were they never at risk? Well, they said that this would only uh, block new funds from being locked up. Right. So but nobody. They also so have as soon as he announced, to update the contract. So yeah. they did. Um, Good. And if you look at uh, actually his article, um, the Neil M. I, I don't know his last name because he doesn't list it um but he actually says you know hey if anybody reads this article before they fix it you could totally exploit it right now if you really wanted yeah. uh it's neil mclaren it. neil mclaren okay good job and neil so we'll actually post both sides of uh the discussion but yeah he was like dude you could totally like to exploit this right now like if you really wanted to uh but the thing is like anybody who exploited that in that time period between the fix and then they would have been blocked um, and not only that, but the question I have to ask is, would they have even noticed it if somebody on the sly decided to lock it up, lock up, start to decided to exploit this? No. Right. But I mean, if he didn't report this, if he didn't report this actual bug and somebody decided to exploit it just for shits and giggles. Probably would, because there'd be a lot of failed transactions on their contract. And I oh, that is that true. They would. It. I would assume. Yeah, they would watch his asserts. Yeah. Um, it's. Yeah, it's disconcerting especially because it does seem like they followed better security practices than most um i've listened to your interviews with quant stamp and 
a lot of their stuff is basically pushing the capability of formal verification, right? But this uh, doesn't seem like something that should have slipped through formal verification. But again, it was it was the context essentially because it was two separate contracts that um, that had cascading implications for other contracts, and that's really yeah. hard to model in uh, in a formal way, especially. Yeah. With well, I don't think they're years. using formal verification, are they? Constant. So what they have is they have. A, I think they're doing. It's not. I don't think. I can't, so I'm. I'm trying to remember. It's been a bit, but uh, I don't think they're. I mean, maybe they are integrating it into some parts, but like Solidity, EVM can't be completely formal verified. They actually can't completely formally verified. In fact, almost almost none of it can because unless you use only a subset of the contract, you can't actually execute formal verification. None of that, but formal verification happens on compose of the the contract itself, meaning like you have to actually write the contract with formal verification in mind. You have to write your code with formal verification as a principle that you are adopting from day one, you can't go back and add it. Um, you know, it's well, probably you can, but then it's just like a different, it's a different contract at that point. Um, there, there's something called, I think it's, is it K framework or something where they're actually using a subset of, um, let me look that up, a subset of, um, um, of solidity. I think it's K framework no, to do formal K framework is actually like, uh, oh, no, 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 I think it's something else. Standard, um, programming language for writing um, programs that can be formally verified. I think you're thinking of... Solidity semantics, semantics and solidity using K frameworks. So they're using K frameworks, sorry about that, um, okay. to actually build EVM semantics, which can be formally verified. But they're, in order to do that, they had to select a subset of the instruction set available to the EVM. Right. Um, and so if you go outside that instruction set, it's no longer considered formally verifiable. Yeah. And, um, and I think there are some uh, limitations. For example, like I don't think they could formally verify the interaction of outside contracts with the contract itself mm -hmm. or like how um, multiple contracts would interact with one another. Because I could just imagine the computational complexity of like all of the different ways that different systems on Ethereum could interact with. One well, that's another. what quant does is they created a network to sort of, uh, to do the computation of formal verification. They're, they're actually doing the whole like input. I don't think, I can't remember if they're doing, doing fuzzing or not, but they're basically doing So it's been a while since that episode. I don't use them personally. I don't have a problem with using them. I just haven't had to. Um, and, if I recall, they pretty much run on their network um, the ability to kind of like branch predict and check like to see if like things are working and within the scope of like expected values and like actually try and do some intelligent uh, checking for things that might go outside of. I don't have to look into it again. I apologize to Quantstamp for probably murdering what they actually do. But they Actually, have a whole. You can just check out. They have a whole network of people of hashing it out and uh, check. You mean out the one I was do. there? <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. remember. Uh, yeah, man, we're like fifty episodes deep. I'm terrible at this stuff. So, um, <laughs> I mean, we had Casper Bach on there for that, and I believe that they do some sort of like prediction. So it's like a whole network, so you can actually go out and and run 
deeper checks on your smart contract. Anyway, the point is that like it's impossible to see these kind of creative bugs, I think. Um, I, I mean, that's kind of the halting problem in and of itself, is that you know you can't write code to check the verification, the, the truth, the accuracy of code. You just can't. Um, not in a Turing complete system. That's why formal verification is cool, is because it's not Turing complete. You can do that. Um, uh, yeah. That only works on non-Turing complete languages, or subsets yeah. of languages which are non-Turing complete, or particular pieces of code which are non-Turing. You don't depend on certain branching aspects of Turing complete languages. Anyway, the point is, is that um, it's uh, it's not fair, and a lot of the criticism I think Quantstamp get got online. I don't think, like, why didn't you catch this? It's like, why didn't you catch this, motherfucker? Like, this is this is something that I think is very difficult to catch. Like, I also don't think that um, a lot of the criticism is completely justified, mainly because um, I disagree with the severity of the bug itself. It doesn't so, matter. First of all, users' funds weren't at risk. Um, the ability of having a funds... Wait, wait, no, that's not true. True. They were they were at risk. They were at risk. Um, they were at risk of not being able to be withdrawn. Right. But if somebody had, update, had exploited, they had it. an updatable contract. So the the contract is redeployed. Look at the way that yeah. their system works: is that you create the contract and then it's deployed. Your own little version of the contract is deployed. Okay. So that means uh, if you update your contract, it doesn't update to all the other contracts, does it? Yeah. It does. Oh, is it is it a library or is it a full? Because I, I don't. I I would hope it's not actually a library. Well, just judging by their um, because that's their a whole other issue. Their internal disclosure. It's basically they called it a denial of service bug. Yeah. But like, the severity I think is overstated in the title and in some of the Twitter posts. Um, Mainly because, like, okay, let me just read the top two sentences just to give you a sense. So the Edgeware's Lockdrop smart contract has processed over $900 million of Ether and locked up over $290 million, all while hiding a fatal bug. Uh-huh. If you participated in the Lockdrop, you need not worry. Your funds were never at risk, and after I reported the defect, it was fixed. Yeah, and what was a bug, and what lessons can be learned? So okay. right, they're so not at risk. In That's one correct. sense, the severity of the bug is a bit overblown. On the second side, the part that like is inexcusable is the very design of the contract and the economic incentives are encouraging people to take on unnecessary risk in order to participate in Edgeware. Right, like that's the part that kind of annoys me. But I so, don't agree with you saying that it wasn't. It wasn't. It was overblown. I don't I agree get, with that. I get that. I don't agree with that, issues. and I'll tell you why. It's because when he said your your funds were never were not at risk, it's because they were only at risk until the point when somebody executed the attack. At that point, going forward, all funds from that point until a fix was implemented were at risk. Okay. And so so Except. that is a that is not an accurate statement to say they weren't at risk because they were at risk. They just passed the point of risk. Meaning right. that they didn't the get the exploit because nobody actually if, executed the exploit. Even if someone executed this um, attack, right? People would still be able to get their money out in the end. 
And Would they? Yeah, after the contract is updated. I thought that was the whole point, is that it couldn't it wouldn't allow the lock to even happen. No, it's just that it denied new entrance into the lock contract, right? But that's only huh. until they update the contract itself. Oh, I, thought it already got, I thought it already got deposited in the new contract that was deployed. Um, everyone's funds got deposited in the new contract. Yeah, so I thought it got it got deposited before the lock even occurred. Well, most likely, what's happening is that, like, essentially, they updated a portion of the contract uh, to reflect the changes, so that the um, right. So that the I get that bug is mitigated. But even if someone took advantage of the original bug, it could still have been updated, and people's funds would have been accessible. Right, like. That's what I'm trying to say. So, like, at worst, right, they, it. it would have essentially prevented people from depositing funds until they uh, updated the contract. For some reason, I That's thought that the, the funds would actually go in. And they then, did. And then they wouldn't be able to pull it back out ever that's because the how, lock process never got implemented. The original bug was basically proposed. Um, but if you can update the contract, then you can take it out. <laughs> right, right. You know? I get that. I get so, that. No, no, no. So I, in that sense, um, it's a bit of an overstatement, but like, don't get me wrong. It is a security vulnerability for a high no, they value up, project. They up, hold on, and... hold on, hold on, hold on. They updated their, their lock drop original source contract. Yes. But if you deployed a contract, a lock contract that is owned by you, well, that is not updatable. That's the right? thing. It's not owned by you. You never actually, you lock your funds. I, I'm literally looking at mean... a picture that describes it, the lock drop process, where Alice deploys a lock drop contract, and it says literally, lock contract owned by Alice. That, so that's, you, you see what I'm saying? That's an address that's not a contract address. Am I mistaken? Yeah, probably, because that's not what owned contract means. There's an owner for the contract, the person who deployed it. That would be Alice, I would assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Either way, it's not, it, it, it is, it is not, it is fixed, it's handled, but I don't think saying that it was, it was, it was overblown is, is correct. Uh, this was a potential, this was a potential misvector of attack and, um you know it's it's yet another it's yet another case for maybe ethereum isn't doing it right um it, it's a case that i hear from people who are outside the space a lot we just we're having andrew polstra he's going to be on this week's episode of hashing it out uh he's already been interviewed we, we we've we've got it recorded in the queue and you know i mean he's he lays into ethereum at one point in that that episode um, we've heard the same thing from the Cadena guys who have, you know, decades of experience in, um, you know, uh, high transaction volume, uh, secure multi-party computation and financial systems. Uh, these, these guys are like, yeah, uh, we looked at what the Ethereum guys are doing and they're like, you're doing it wrong. Um, yeah. And so the we decided to do it ourselves. Stack said that too. And so like, this is another piece of evidence that, maybe Turing complete wasn't the way to go. And that maybe these systems that we built aren't necessarily, uh, and, and, you know, this isn't actually a Turing complete issue either, by the way, I want to go on record to say that 
this is not actually something that I think is has anything to do with the fact that Ethereum is Turing complete. But because it's not Turing complete, testing becomes more difficult. And because testing becomes more difficult, isolating potential issues from the outside coming in is also more difficult. And in right. in this like it's a whole cascading effect that starts with the fact that you can't do formal verification of the very contract itself. So I look at things like Pact, which from Cadena, and I go, that's actually looking like a very promising approach. And that makes Ethereum- sense. I mean, even Facebook's approach is we're going to make smart contracts for you and then you can take what we give you. That's the Ripple right. approach, by the way, too. That's <laughs> like, what? It's the Ripple approach. It's basically an API. Um, right. And there, that's essentially the counter argument because really that's the only, those are the only two arguments. We don't, we didn't know how to build a safe smart contract platform five years ago. Now, when we move into ETH 2.0, um, there isn't necess- there's no guarantee that it's going to be uh, backwards uh, compatible. And the smart contract and scripting language is like probably a couple years away from implementation. I heard the best estimate that the actual full smart contract capability in which you're allowed to do cross-chain data, trans- uh, data accesses and basically have... A shard, yeah a shard with data and uh, full smart contract capability. It's like two years from now. So I, right? I say so. this a lot and I, I think it's rude, but it's also necessary to say it. And I, I think it's necessary to say it because like, uh, first off, I'm not any better than they are or were, but if you don't like somebody has to kind of like, I think the people who built Ethereum weren't really qualified to build a system that took this much money in. I feel like Ethereum was a, a, a a really, really, really good idea and a really good for the entire crypto ecosystem. I think it was really imperative that we had the ICO market and the ICO boom, even though there was a lot of grief and hate and whatever and like bad money and good money in it. And like it, it funded crypto like big yeah. time. It legitimized it big more time. Advanced That's fantastic. Smart oh. contract security market is. They did such a wonderful thing for the entire space. The like Vitalik and Vlad and like. Nick uh, Johnson and even uh, Fabian Vogelsteller, who who created the Mist Wallet and stuff like these are these guys did amazing things. Uh, Gavin Gavin Wood, I don't know how I could even leave him out. I mean, basically, guy created Solidity, um, and uh, you know, I mean, these are these, they did wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. And yeah. I, and I'm and of course, when somebody says that, it's going to be followed with a but. And unfortunately, I I'm going to do that this time, sure. but. There are decades of actual gray-haired engineers who build large, scalable financial transaction systems. Who I, I look at the list of people who were involved, and I look at the list of people who weren't involved. And the people who were involved were none of those people. Uh, or you, you know what I mean? And so the people who weren't involved were the people who knew what they, who've, who've had experience in this field. And I think part of that is because the revolutionary aspect, the the whole, you know, like we are going to conquer the world, we are crypto anarchists, blah, 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 whatever you want to say, aspect of all this um, made them want to say, fuck the, fuck the system, fuck the old people, we could do it better. And on the one hand, it's leading to a better system because they took the risk and they took it on themselves at a young age. Most of these people are very, very, very young. Um, and they learned through the school of hard knocks 
when that might have been the fastest and best way to do it with the least amount of barrier to entry. And I think that's great that they did. But um, there are lessons that people have, have, have learned over the years. And I think it's important that we take a step back at this point, look at those lessons and maybe try and internalize them a little. Like maybe maybe solidity wasn't a good idea. Maybe turn complete isn't actually necessary. Um, maybe 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 we could have done a little more than the you know than the simple scripting languages uh, on um you know um that okay. that Bitcoin supports. But, but we could have done a little less than a full on Turing complete system where most of the smart contracts can't even afford to execute actual Turing complete features. I know. I get it. I've heard it. But it's also been five years since Ethereum's been out, and it's proven its worth, and the alternatives aren't live. So until they are, um, you know, <laughs> like if it was possible for uh, people with decades of experience in distributed computing, smart contracts. You're, you're literally saying the same thing I just said. So, I mean, like we're, the we're in agreement. The idea of smart contracts has been around for like 20 years and there hasn't been a smart mm. contract based system, right? Like the there's name been, was there are concepts Nick, um, in computer science that have remained concepts. Now, everyone knows the financial incentives to correctly implementing and taking Ethereum's throne. So now there's no excuse, right? Like anyone with a half-brained idea is able to get funded in this space. Now let's see the implementations, right? And don't get mm -hmm. me wrong, like I understand the the risks and the trade-offs and like the... Um, the decisions that you have to make in choosing a platform to build a blockchain application, but mm -hmm. it's obvious why everyone's still building off of Ethereum. Yep. It works. It's proven. It has its errors and it's on you. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you create a system that's designed to incentivize people locking almost $300 million within your smart contract and you fundamentally have an error that puts everyone's money at risk, you got to live with that, right? On the flip side of it, if there was an alternative of a formally verified smart contract language that has the flexibility to do whatever you want and is production ready, that is usable now and has the kind of testing and money behind it of... Um, any similar type platform, then eventually people are going to start migrating to it. And that's really the weird type of limbo that Ethereum's in. Mm -hmm. Currently, they are going to break backwards compatibility, mm -hmm. right? So what we're working on now is something that is basically on life support because the main contributors and researchers that basically got Ethereum to where it is now have in a large part started looking elsewhere. So now you have an ecosystem of DApp developers who are directly financially incentivized to make this existing system work, right? Because they ICO'd and they have tokens on the existing Ethereum network and now they have to create the network and the businesses to actually back up the value of those chains. But at the same time, they're dealing with a system in which the main developers of that system are now already looking elsewhere. And it's a weird dichotomy. It's an interesting Describe dichotomy. elsewhere. Are you talking about Ethereum 2.0 or just in general? Ethereum 
Yeah, I think that uh, that's the only way to go. Exactly. Think, you know, and that's fine. And, and honestly, they're breaking we don't need backwards it. compatibility, so it's really hard to take future lessons and what do you apply mean by them that? to now. What do you mean by breaking backwards compatibility? Like, do you mean ETH 2.0 is not the same as ETH 1.0 and it's actually a whole new token? Because, yeah, that's that's true. Yes. Um, and, yeah. But and I wouldn't call that breaking backwards. That's not that... breaking backwards compatibility because the ETH 1 chain will still run. Right. But I'm also saying that the instruction set that comprise Solidity that dictates how the Ethereum 1.0 chain currently works isn't necessarily restrictive in the instruction set that's going to run on Ethereum 2.0, right? Yeah. So like Solidity running on Ethereum 2.0 does not have to function the same way it does now. Right. Well, first off, no I don't one... think, let's just be clear here. I don't think there's going to be a Solidity in, in ETH 2.0. I, I don't. I, I don't as think EVM, language, is, I don't think EVM is going to be the same. I think we're looking at Ewasm seems the direction everybody's going in. Yep. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I, I mean, like I said, I just made a very strong case that we don't need all that, um, that there's no real reason to have a Turing complete language that I can personally see right now, and that most Turing complete uh, operations are probably best left off chain and that we should keep the protocol as thin as fucking possible and just allow people to hook you know, proof into the chain in any format that they want. So maybe more diverse types of curves available on the actual Ethereum uh, instructions that would be, be awesome. Um, you know, implement the ability to implement libraries of, of uh, new standards. So maybe changing hashing uh, functions uh, that are available in Ethereum, like those kind of upgradable features would be great. But I don't, uh, you know, if somebody invents a new zero, zero knowledge proof, we should be able to integrate it in the protocol and an upgrade through an EIP pretty easily. But I don't see us needing like four loops that can run indefinitely inside of a blockchain. We just don't fucking need it. Well, and so I mean, my... to be the devil's advocate, technically Ethereum isn't Turing complete because of gas. But anyways, um, well, the, the language. No, no, no. It is. That's that's not even no, being devil's. Not. That's not even. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, and because, because you can't no, run no, no. every program because no, you stop. run out of gas. There's stop. a deterministic that's not what that limit. Means. That's not what that means. I get that's what you not mean, correct. But that's I not argue correct. Differently. Just because you could put a determinist uh, a deterministic limit on it doesn't necessarily mean it is limited. The actual language itself could consume all. So you're oh, talking yeah. about the language, not its actual implementation. Yeah, that's what, that's how it what works it means. In the EVM. Yeah, the See, EVM. The EVM well, the itself e isn't Turing complete because there is a limit. But that's we're, not true. We're, we're nitpicking nuance on. That's the literally not definition. true, by the way. That's literally, really, definitely not true. That's not the actual definition of Turing complete. You put in, this is a known loophole that people have used for for decades. This is nothing new. If you if you put a a hard computational limit on something, it's it's only limited by that limit. Okay? Exactly. So, so that's limited. that limit that but that limit. So that's true for your literal the machine you're talking on right now has yes. the same kind of limits in place. You're, it's like saying the von Neumann architecture isn't Turing complete. Yeah, okay, that's true, but not in practice. You know, like nobody, exactly. you can expend all of your RAM and then suddenly you've run out of ticker tape and now you're no longer Turing complete. But making the argument that that's not Turing complete is bullshit. There are, there are, there are consequences, there are consequences to being Turing complete and, and in a language format. And those consequences are you can't take advantage of things like formal verification. I and so, so it's you cannot a... tell me that that's not a flaw. You cannot tell me that, or not a flaw, but a that, that, that it's Turing complete because gas, that's not that's not the case. Okay. It's, 
So what I'm saying is that just because you have a gas limit doesn't mean that you can make it formally verifiable because of the computational complexity. I get it. But at the same time, I it's also... It's still Turing-complete. What? There's it's, a lot of things I've... that are Turing-complete that aren't intended to be Turing-complete. The idea is, is that the gas limit itself prevents a while loop from running forever. Well, that's that's true. I'm not going to okay. deny that. And and your and and the amount of RAM you have in your system prevents uh, you from uh, doing something similar. Whatever you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. not it's not so necessarily will eventually like error. All programs error. eventually will terminate. Yes, including the program called Planet Earth. But the point is not to say that the point is provability when you're talking about Turing completeness. It's an information science problem. It's not a it's not one about whether or not you can. You know what? Yeah, it's, it's about provability. It's about determinism, and okay. Turing complete makes it virtually. It actually makes it actually impossible, due to the halting problem. It makes it actually impossible to determine whether or not a particular program can or will ever terminate. Um, okay, but we know for sure that a program running on the EVM connected to the network will eventually halt and either roll back or execute successfully. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we put gas in there to begin with is to solve, to make sure that it halts. But halting (laughs) isn't the only problem we're encountering here. Right. It's provability. And you can't, and the same information science problem that causes the halting problem is also the same thing that prevents provability. And it's not just because of halts. It's because you genuinely cannot determine whether or not you cannot reduce you cannot you cannot do an analysis on all across all possible inputs to determine that they that all possible outputs um, reach a um, a particular desired set of constricted results. That's that's what formal verification actually is. And 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 when you when you have a turn complete language, formal verification is no longer possible. And so you can't actually do the kind of testing that we're talking about to make a very secure system. So um, to wrap this up, basically. <laughs> Ethereum itself is going to change their smart contract scripting language anyways. The way it currently is, is a necessary evil that was a best-in-class implementation that has been repaired but never fundamentally fixed. But at the same time, we're in agreement that there is almost no interest within the community to maintain perfect one-to-one standard with the existing EVM and the future implementation, which means the instruction set that actually runs Solidity could fundamentally change. So there's nothing preventing a formally verifiable smart contracting scripting programming language in Ethereum 2.0. I'd say take advantage of it. I say, I say, I say, why not, why not run two languages side by side? So like, like if you want, he'd be awesome. They, it has its risks associated with it. And on the same in the same uh, you know virtual language uh, have a restricted subset of instructions which enable a a a, uh, a formally verified system, right? right. Like yeah, yeah the same thing. Like just use the same. You can even just use a restricted version of Uwasm, um, and that's that's fine. I mean that could literally be a flag in compile that that the the actual like first let's just say the first you know two hundred fifty six bits of any smart contract is going to be all ones. And then if it's all ones, then it's formally verified. And you, you must go with this restricted subset of instructions. Fine. Okay. Um, yep. But but the point is, is that like... I uh, think it's going to be necessary. Because yeah, as you so. mentioned, there are projects that are coming up that are starting from there. Yeah. And there is no reason now 
if we're building a new smart contract scripting language, not to basically take advantage of these uh, yeah. these advances. And, and we're I'm, we're I'm so pretty early. sure that like the Ethereum community will fully jump on board. We're so early. I mean, we're just now in the phase zero freeze, so like we're really really right there in the beginning. Um, yeah. Like we got time to make these kind of arguments and to start having the conversation. Um, I, I can say this though: I don't know anybody who really likes Solidity. Um, I think they did at first, like within I know the security I, community or within like in general. Hey, I nobody's ever crypto nobody, kitties or crypto zombies, and now I like Solidity. No, no, no. I mean the language itself um, more than uh, more than the uh, nobody looks at Solidity and goes, I, I don't know anybody. So as I say, there isn't somebody out there who's a super slitty fanboy. I'm pretty sure somebody like that exists. But for the most part, people struggle with it because it's a, it's a, a quirky uh, language that has um, uh, unexpected implementation consequences. Uh, the debugging features are difficult to understand at times. Um, it misses features that uh, you would think a language that looks like that would kind of have. Um, it has some new features that I'm not that might have some questionable consequences such as, um, what are they called, um, modifiers. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, there's people who are really making an argument against modifiers out there. And, like, and so I, 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 I think their library system, just the fact that they call it a library, and it's not actually libraries, they're singletons, um, you know, these, which means that people are not treating them with this, the, the, the kind of like the appropriate response to how they're deployed and how they're used. Um, it, it's, it's a, it was a language built for the times it was a language when they needed a language hey we need a language oh, okay let me go let me go write one up real quick i'll and base it off it'll look a little bit like of, javascript in but. terms of accessibility and usability i think the main criticism that i hear about solidity is that it was accessible to people who didn't fully understand the implications of what they were doing so yeah and, and, I, but, you know, i'm fine. okay it, it with having uh written a bit in solidity it did what I needed to. It probably did more than I needed it to. <laughs> um, but then again, in terms of stimulating the imagination of developers, I yeah. still find very creative uses for it. And um, essentially, people have used it to do things that I could never have imagined. So the fact that it was so open-ended in such an early stage technology was originally a benefit. Now, once so much value is tied into it, it has turned into a liability. Um, The perspective that we have around it is different, but at the same time, it's um, something that's essentially going to be addressed in the future, I hope. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I, I think it's great. I think these conversations and shows like this are not to toot our own horn, or where the change is actually going to, you know, happen. It's the fact that we're having these conversations at all um, is encouraging, and I really am looking forward to uh, seeing where we where we go after uh, after Ethereum 2.0 is released in the Ethereum ecosystem. But at the same time, there's a lot of interesting work being done in other other protocols too. So um, yeah, it's going to be they're going to be competing, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Great talking to you, Colin. And thanks to our listeners for joining us and listening until now. Um, Until next time. Enjoy. Peace.